Good morning, everybody. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for coming out in the cold and worshiping on this New Year's Eve day. Thank you to everybody who is at home, sick, or traveling, uh, whatever you are, uh, for worshiping with us online. Uh, we are glad you're here. My name is Kevin. I am the worship and discipleship pastor. Every once in a while, they let me preach. And I'm very thankful to be able to do that and thankful for a wonderful group of musicians that can let me just completely step off stage and uh, doesn't even miss a beat. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4, you, you are seeing and hearing that right. Um, I'm doing something a little stupid today. Uh, last week, um, Pastor Craig uh, wrapped up his sermon series on Christmas with Ruth. I'm not preaching Christmas with Ruth. But I am preaching the exact same passage that he preached last week. Um, and I'm not sure anybody's ever done that before. Pastor Craig knew I was going to do that. Uh, we had had this conversation um, a few weeks ago, and it just really depended on what, what direction he felt led to go last week, whether or not I would move forward with this uh, sermon this week. And it worked out, and here we are. So, if you will, if you made it there, Ruth chapter 4, would you stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word? Begin with... Um, Verse 1, we go through verse 8. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down, and then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to her, our relative um, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you, will, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in, in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, he drew off his sandal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for a wonderful day to come to worship in your house and for all that you've done in the past year. Pray that you'd bless us now as we um, learn from your word, that you speak to us, that you take everything of me out of this sermon and let only your words uh, prevail. In the name I pray, amen. You may be seated. From about 2009 to 2012, we lived in New Orleans. I was working my master's degree at the uh, New Orleans Seminary there. And we were told pretty early on that on New Year's Eve, under no circumstances, go outside. Do not go outside on New Year's Eve when they start popping all the fireworks because not everything you hear is a firework. And it sounded like Armageddon for 30 solid minutes without stopping where we were. We weren't in the best part of town. In fact, the seminary was in one of the worst parts of town. There's razor wire on top of the fence of the seminary for a reason. Um, and uh, I remember one, one year um, it was discovered that a, a bullet had fallen out of the sky uh, on New Year's Day and, and lodged itself in the headlight of one of our neighbors of the, on their car. Uh, so that's why we didn't go out there during New Year's Eve or anything like that, especially in this bad part of town. While we were there, 
New Orleans and the Baton Rouge area began to uh, be the home of a lot of film development. It, it became known as Hollywood South. Um, so they made a lot of films between the two cities. And the little church we served that had the opportunity was approached by some producers to ask if we could, uh, uh, how they could use our lawn, rent our lawn at the little church. And this little church needed the money, so we allowed them to do it. They set up their craft services table there to feed the extras on the film they were working on just a few streets over. And through that, I got connected with a casting agency, a local casting agency, because after all, being in the movie was on my bucket list. And I thought, hey, why not? This might be our chance. And a few, a few months later, I got a call, and not only was it a call to be in a movie, uh, next year in the movie, it was a superhero movie. And it was filming only two miles from where we were staying at the seminary. Perfect. I arranged that, went and um, spent a week on set. It was very boring on a little movie called The Green Lantern. Um, not the best superhero in the movie in the world, but I got to be in it. Sure enough, after, after it came out, I pulled it up at one point and I, I located where I was in there. I had the timestamp and everything. I could tell everybody, that's where I am. Here's you, you can find me right there. Um, Never actually watched the whole movie, though, because it wasn't a great movie, <laughs> to be honest. But I did a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, I finally said, you know what? It's about time. I need to watch this movie that, I, you know, that I'm in. Guess what I found out? After all these years, there is a new edit that they have on the streaming services right now that has my scene edited out. <laughs> there went my big chance. Not only will people not remember the movie because it wasn't the best superhero in the movie in the world, but uh, those who do won't even see me in it anymore. And my name is not in the credits or anything. So nobody, nobody will know that I spent that week on set to be in a movie. We tend to chase so many things in life that ultimately don't matter. They erode, they disappear, become subjected to the curse of sin that was established in the garden. All our bucket list items, all our successes, our wealth, our accomplishments, all our fame and glory will all be forgotten. So this year, as we gather here to worship on New Year's Eve, I'm going to encourage you not to make a New Year's resolution. I'm going to encourage you to do something else that I'll come back to at the end. I want to encourage you to do something far more useful as we work through this passage, as we talk about the unnamed redeemer. Unnamed, because we have no idea who he is, where he came from, what his accomplishments were, what his le the legacy that he wished to leave on the world, what his bucket list items were, save for this one uncredited appearance in someone else's story. The first thing I want you to see from this passage today is, is accept responsibility. One of the things that has always struck me about this passage was that Boaz had to confront the kinsman redeemer. If you remember from chapter 1, Naomi's arrival in town caused a great stir. Everybody noticed. They knew Naomi. Is that Naomi? They knew. It was a great stir. Uh, and it's unlikely that this unnamed kinsman redeemer didn't know about Naomi and Ruth. There was no heir. They knew that. They came back widows. They were out of money. Ruth was gleaning in the fields. It was all over town. Why then did this unnamed redeemer not voluntarily seek to redeem 
Naomi. At least on the surface, it could have been a great business deal. He gets Elimelech's land for a time, which would have been profitable. He would have recovered all of his expenses and his investment and then some while gaining some honor and notoriety in the community. Certainly, that's why he initially agreed. He's like, you caught me. All right, I'll do it. But he didn't seek it out. Boaz had to gather the elders, and they basically ambushed the man at the city gate to hold him accountable for his responsibility. There are two areas of responsibility at play here in the law. The first is the redemption of property. Naomi was so desperate that she, she was seeking to sell the land in order to survive. And so it fell to the kinsman redeemer to help restore the land so that the land stayed in the family line. The second was the issue of preserving the family line, line of Elimelech. This was not the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer. This is a separate issue. This was, this, this was the res, uh, responsibility of the brother of the deceased man in a law known as the, the Leverite law, all right? And, and so the kinsman redeemer and the Leverite law are two separate things. Uh, somehow, culturally, it looks like uh, the, the culture had connected the two obligations, but legally, they, they were two separate matters, not necessarily connected. So Boaz pins this guy down to be the kinsman redeemer, and then he invokes the responsibility to preserve the family name in connection to being the redeemer. And this was just one responsibility too much. Boaz had to call him out, and he refused. God calls each of us out today. We, we have a responsibility as believers to represent Jesus to those around us. What's the point of the Great Commission? What's the point of every believer having a spiritual gift of some sort if they are not for the purpose of moving the needle and sharing the Great Commission with all of those around us? What's the point if not to further the kingdom of God? We are, uh, we are gifted to be a whole body of Christ and the whole body of Christ has the responsibility to share the good news to the world. If we're part of the body, we share the responsibility, you see. You may not even realize it. When we first moved to South Carolina, uh, we had some trouble getting my car, my, my Honda CRV, uh, registered. We took it to DMV, they wouldn't register it. And the reason was because the title wasn't signed by the bank when we got it. We had the title, it was paid off. And I told the lady, I said, look, look, like, uh, she said, well, what does it matter? She said, well, I can't, it, this, can't prove that you own the car. I said, lady, the car is in the parking lot. If you want to go see it, I have it right here. I have the car. Couldn't do anything without that signature on the title. The problem was the bank that issued the title, the bank that, that served our loan, had been bought out years ago by another bank. And we didn't know what to do because this bank was gone and hadn't been around for a while. So we, we, we figured out which bank bought that bank, and we found the nearest branch of the, the new bank, and we went to them, and I sat down with the bank manager for about an hour and a half, and she was on the phone calling all the people she could think of to call to get an answer. What do we do about signing this title so that he can go get his registration? Um, because, I mean, the bank didn't exist anymore. 
And finally, somebody said on the phone, she said, just sign it. <laughs> and she said, I can do that. <laughs> he said, yeah, just sign it. So she grabbed a pen and she signed it. She said, here it is. And I took it to DMV and they took it and they didn't even look twice at it. I could have signed it. And it would have been fine. But in that moment, that bank manager had the authority to do what needed to be done. And a line of people who didn't know where the responsibility fell, she was in that moment uniquely qualified to solve the problem even if she didn't know it. I believe that each of you are uniquely gifted and uniquely called to solve a problem in the world that only you can solve. You may not even realize it, but your unique story means you have a calling that is unique to you. And there are people who can only be reached with the gospel by you and through your calling. As Christians, we bear this responsibility to be obedient to the calling and the gifting God has given us. But too often, though, we're like the unnamed believer. We know the responsibility. You've been in church for a minute. You know the responsibility. No one has to tell us, but we go through life ignoring it and pretending like it's not there because maybe it's inconvenient. Maybe it's hard work. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe it'll require sacrifice. Regardless, many Christians spend their entire lives running away from the responsibility of being a Christian. Be responsible for what God has called you to do. If you need to be reminded that you have a calling that you've been ignoring, let this sermon be that reminder. And let it also be a warning because here's what happens. It's what happened to the unnamed redeemer, you see. If we refuse to accept responsibility for our calling, God is ready and willing to pass that responsibility on to someone else who is willing and I believe when this happens, we go through the rest of our lives regretting that decision, wondering where it went wrong somewhere, wondering where life fell off the rails. Don't be like the unnamed redeemer. Take responsibility for your calling. Second this morning, be kingdom-minded. To redeem another was done at the kinsman redeemer's own expense. They had to pay off any debts against the land or pay the fair going rate to the current owner. There was no reimbursement. Okay, in, in, this, case, in, in this case, Naomi was going to sell it. And so instead of uh, a random stranger buying the land, a kinsman redeemer was going to buy the land so the land could come back to the family later. The redeemer took that full responsibility. At a loss. In this case, it's likely that the Redeemer would not only take the responsibility, but would actually have the opportunity to benefit from the land. Since there wasn't a head of family in place, he could work the land and reap the benefit, at least until a male heir came of age that, that could accept the inheritance and take responsibility for the family property. 
with Ruth being an additional responsibility to the Redeemer. This unknown Redeemer, this unnamed Redeemer, refused saying it would jeopardize his inheritance. So not only was the addition of a wife and taking care of a child a huge unexpected expense that maybe he couldn't afford and and might make the investment too costly to even think about, uh, but a child born to Ruth could cause legal problems for him. As I explained earlier, the role of the kinsman redeemer was, was not the same as the Leverite law, the Leverite marriage, though, though something similar and culturally is, is being invoked here. Still, it did not hold that same legal implications of the Leverite law. Look, in the Leverite law, the, the, the widow had the right to confront the kinsman, the, 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 the redeemer or so. Uh, if, if he refused, right? She, she had the right to shame him in public. That didn't happen here. This is not the invoking of the Leverite law because the Leverite law was about a brother. It was to be a brother to, should marry the widowed sister-in-law to preserve the family line. Not a kinsman redeemer, not a distant relative, but a brother. And a child born in that circumstance with, with a brother stays in the family. It's the same family name. It's the same family line. But in this instance, a child born to Ruth might have legal claim not only to the estates of Elimelech, but a portion of the estates of the unnamed redeemer. And if, if, we don't know, but let's say if this unnamed redeemer did not yet have a firstborn son, then a son born to Ruth might have firstborn rights to the inheritance of both families. So there was a legal issue here. It really literally jeopardized his inheritance. So he refused. But here's the thing. Not only do we not know his name, we have no idea where his land was. We don't know about anything about his inheritance. We don't know anything about his descendants. If there's anything left of what he was so worried about protecting, we don't have any evidence of it. It's, it's the legacy of Boaz that survives to this day. And it's not even uh, the Malon, the, the deceased husband, that gets remembered in the genealogy of Jesus. Obed is listed as the son of Boaz. One of our favorite restaurants to, to visit is Cracker Barrel. It's always been Cracker Barrel. I don't know, maybe it's just southern food. We like the chicken and dumplings or something. And we've gone lots and lots of times. I actually proposed, the third time I proposed to Deanna was at Cracker Barrel. The, the first time was when we were talking in the car and we just say, hey, why don't we get married? Okay. And the second time was unofficial at college, and we didn't want any of our family to know. So I made her a ring out of beads and fishing line, and she wore that while we were at college. And the third time was actually the official time with the ring, and it was at Cracker Barrel. And I was, I was a kid, and I was so nervous, and she knew it was coming, so it wasn't a surprise because she helped pick out the ring. And so uh, I just I slipped out of my chair, went down on my knee, and she went yes, and I sat back. And nobody in the restaurant even noticed. One of the things we always talk about when we go to Cracker Barrel are the pictures on the wall. These unnamed faces. Who were they? 
Who are their descendants? Were they happy? Did they find the success that they were looking for? What, what, what about their worries and their anxieties? Did the things they were so worried about actually happen? What became of them? Did they accomplish for themselves and their families all those things they, they sacrificed to accomplish? Was it worth it? Did they know Jesus? Did they teach their family about Jesus? Where are all their earthly possessions now? This point isn't about the unnamed redeemer's legal concerns. I bring all that up because I want you, I want you to understand where his head was, right? It's about the fact that he was more concerned with protecting what was his than about doing the right thing for someone else in need. He was more focused on his earthly inheritance than the greater blessing he might have received. Think about the greater blessing that Boaz received. He's in the line of Jesus. And I wonder... How often we choose the earthly things when given the opportunity to do something hard and risky. That hard and risky thing, that difficult and risky thing uh, might be what God is calling us to do, but the earthly gives us security and comfort. And it's, it's, it's easy, and so we ignore it. We don't do it. But the hard truth is this. If God tarries, if God tarries, because nobody knows when, when, when Jesus is coming back, but if God tarries, what becomes of all those earthly things in 200 years? Where will your expensive car be? Where will your house be? Who will be living in your house, even if your house is, is, is still around? Who will be doing your job or running your company, if it's even still there? Will anyone remember your high school sports records? Will anyone even remember your name? Will you simply be like most, most of those that are from 200 years ago, just another name in someone's genealogy found on a census? Worse, will you end up a nameless photo on the wall of a restaurant? Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't focus on your earthly inheritance. All these things are temporary. But what is important is whether or not you've taken responsibility for the calling that God has given you. So let me ask you this. What are you doing for the eternal? What are you doing for the eternal? Are you investing time, energy, and resources into the earthly or the eternal? If you were to look at these two things like savings accounts, it's a bad analogy, we're going to use it anyway. If you were to look at these two things like savings accounts, and one savings account is going to go to the government when you die. And the other savings account, you miraculously get to take it with you. Which one are you going to invest in? Well, that's what, that's what Matthew is saying right here. If you invest in these things, it's going to all be destroyed. But if you invest in the eternal, it comes with you.
Invest in the internal, the eternal. What you do for God is stored up for you in heaven. What you do for the world will fall victim to the curse of the world. Have a bigger view of the eternity than just a few short years that you live here on earth. Live like you are an immortal being that will live forever because you are. And that should be exciting and make you want to live a life that's worthy of being an immortal being that will live forever. Third this morning, don't miss your chance. The unnamed redeemer had the opportunity to become a part of God's redemption story, but he refused. Boaz became a part of that redemption story. This man had the, had the opportunity, but he refused. He remains unnamed, and he missed his chance. So I realize that this has been a, a bit of a heavier sermon than you maybe you expect on New Year's Eve. So I brought, I brought something, brought some show and tell. They loved it first service. This, this is Sting. This is the sword that was given to Bilbo in The Hobbit. This was later given to Frodo to take on his journey. This is not the actual sting. It's a replica and it's only, it's not even sharp. Uh, it's meant to hang on a wall to be looked at. A little pretty thing to have. But it reminds me that there is a fundamental difference between, between Bilbo and Frodo. See, Bilbo, well, Frodo, Frodo, we'll talk about Frodo first, Lord of the Rings, went on his adventure, went on his journey because he felt a deep sense of obligation to do so. He felt like he had no choice. He was the only one. In fact, there's, there's a quote in the movies uh, where, where a character is telling us, if you don't do this, no one else will. So heavy was the burden on Frodo. Bilbo, on the other hand, was given a chance. He was given a choice. He was invited. And they gave him a contract. Say, if you want to go, sign the contract and come with us. And at first he said, no, I don't want to do that. And the next morning he woke up, he regretted it, he signed the contract and took off after him after they left him behind. Completely his choice. I think the kingdom of God is a lot like this. I believe that there are some that God calls to do extraordinary things for the kingdom. And the calling is so strong that they have no choice and they obey out of their deep sense of responsibility and obligation. They can't help it. They're thrust into great ministry whether they want it or not. But I believe that many, many more in the world are given the choice. A choice to go on the adventure of an extraordinary ministry or to stay where it is comfortable. Not that God punishes those who, that choose to stay in the comfortable. If he gives you the choice, I don't believe he punishes you if, you if you choose to stay. He will use you right where you are to accomplish a ministry that he's, he's given you in that place. 
But I've heard some people say, uh, say that God doesn't call everyone to do big things. And, and that, that God calls people to do simple things right where they are. And, and to that I say, why not? Why not? Why doesn't God call everyone to do an extraordinary thing for the kingdom? It can be anyone's if they choose it. Maybe God has given us the choice. Attempt something great if you want to. I can't imagine anyone saying, going to God and saying, God, you know, I think, uh, I, I believe you've called me to stay home and to just be a witness to those people who I go to work with, but, you know, I, I really want to try being a missionary to Africa. I can't imagine God saying no. The missionary William Carey once said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Will you attempt something great for God? I think deep down, we all like the idea of it, don't we? There's something that stirs within us to want to do something great for the kingdom. That's that choice that God's given us. And I think that sometimes the fear or the comfort or the complacency or, or, or whatever it is, is what keeps us at home. And we sit back in our armchair and we leave the contract of an amazing adventure of serving God on the table unsigned. I've heard many stories of people later in life regretting never accepting a calling that God had placed on their lives, regretting it. And I wonder if that's you. I wonder how many missionaries, I wonder how many missionaries are sitting in this room today who have considered God's proposition and chosen to stay at home instead. How many pastors are in here? How many youth leaders how many other ministry leaders that have been given the choice and have chosen to stay at home? The might have beens and the never wers. Once upon a time, maybe God laid a burden on your heart and gave you a choice to take a chance and pursue it or take the less risky option of staying home and you stayed home. Is that you? Are you one of those that considered it and told God no. It's not too late. You can take steps toward that calling now. Don't be like the unnamed redeemer and miss your chance. Be like Bilbo. <laughs> Sign the contract and go on an amazing adventure, an amazing journey of discovering something extraordinary that God might want to do in your life for the kingdom. Because if you don't, when given the opportunity, attempt a great thing for God, if God gives you the opportunity, if you don't, you're liable to regret it for the rest of your life. So I ask you, what is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? I'm going to talk about my dog now. Hope that's okay. We have an Aussie doodle. 
She's about four years old. And unlike what some other pastors in this church might claim, she is actually the best dog in the world. But she's, a, she's, she's part shepherd. She's part Australian shepherd. And if you've ever owned a shepherding dog, you know that shepherding dogs have to have a job to do. If they don't have a job to do, they're going to drive you crazy. They're going to tear things up. Her job that she has claimed, we've actually joked about getting our pet a pet. We thought maybe she'd like a small goat, but we don't think the neighbors would like it. Her job is to keep the yard clear of squirrels. That's the job that she's, she doesn't, she doesn't hurt them. She doesn't, she was never, well, she caught a baby once, but she didn't hurt it. She didn't want to play with it. But she will sit and patrol and just watch. She'll watch the trees. Because even if they get in the trees in the yard, they've got to leave. And if she's inside, there's portions of the yard she can't see from the door. At least twice an hour, she'll go and ring her little bell and tell us that she wants to go outside. And then she'll go run about two laps around the yard as fast as she can. So fast that at the corners, she has kicked up embankments that she can bank around. She'll do her a couple laps and she'll come back just to make sure the yard is secure. You know what she does on rainy days when she can't go outside and patrol? She lays at the door and pouts. She is happiest when she is doing what she is designed to do. We find our joy when we are living the life that we are designed to live. If you're struggling with your joy, maybe that's it. Maybe you're not living the life that you are designed to live. And if you are a believer, God has called you to live for eternity to embrace the calling that he's given you, to be responsible for spreading the gospel, you will find your joy when you're in the center of God's will. If you're struggling with that, it may be because you're not in the center of God's will. If you're struggling with joy. Don't chase worldly happiness and miss your chance the chance that God may be putting in front of you to experience something extraordinary. Like I said, how many missionaries, how many pastors, how many youth workers, how many ministry workers are in here because they told God no? And if you're not a believer, your first calling from God today is a calling to salvation. God wants to call you to experience a journey to discover who you were created to be, who he created you to be. And your first step is finding Jesus, is accepting Jesus, accepting that calling. And to anyone out here who has dreamed, maybe, of attempting a big thing from God, if a thought has ever occurred to you, and you said, no, I can't do that. I need a good job instead, or I can't do that for whatever reason. Or, I can't do that, I'm gonna make somebody mad. I can't do that 
I'm going to step on some toes. I can't do that. My parents won't like it. I can't do that. I'm going to leave family behind. If you've ever dreamed of attempting a big thing for God, and for whatever reason, you put it on the table and left it alone and didn't deal with that. Don't let comfort, success, complacency stand between you and whatever amazing journey God wants to take you on. Take a chance. Take a chance. Look, it's not going to cost you anything to look into it. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt anyone to find out what the next step is. You can do that. Just ask some questions. What would it look like? So this year, I'm gonna challenge you not to make a New Year's resolution. Instead, I'm gonna challenge you, here it is, to submit and commit to the calling God has already laid on your heart. Do that. Don't, don't resolve to do something new. Submit and commit to what you've already been told to do. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you do. And I pray that you would just move in the hearts of those who are gathered here. God, if there's anybody here wrestling with trying to understand what you want them to do with their lives, God, or maybe somebody struggling with joy, that they can find the answers they're looking for today. That all of us here would submit and commit to being obedient to you in this next year. And God, that there would be no regrets, but there would be joy in a life serving you. God, move among us. In the name I pray, amen. Would you stand this morning?